Aqua Lads and Aqua Lasses, welcome to the newest episode of Reading Canebow, where we continue the journey into darkness. Today's episode will cover Chapter 3 of the Ongoing Adventures of Young Glenn Calloway. Just to recap, in Chapter 2, Glenn was still in the hospital recovering from the burns when the funeral parlor burned down. He met social worker Melissa Vick, who sort of was a religious uppity bitch, but at the same time, she's one of them god dang libbers, and she's going to try to find Glenners a place to live in this world. A nurse let Melissa Vick know that in the funeral parlor, they found additional unclaimed burned bodies and feared that the Callaways were doing work with the Mexicans. Will we learn more? Will Eddie Guerrero appear in the book? We don't know. But let's continue this journey into darkness. Chapter 3 Melissa Vick became an everyday visitor to Glenn's room, sometimes coming in the morning, in the shower, before starting her day, sometimes coming at night, coming on her way home. She tried to establish a coming routine. She wanted to establish a coming rapport. She wanted Glenn to see her as a coming friend. He was a hard nut to crack. Eventually, she left Glenn some books. She left him some toys, and she tried to watch TV with him, but he just wouldn't come. She prodded him with questions about school, but that's not going to help. About his likes and dislikes, that's better. What he might want to do once he got out of the hospital. He was distant and detached. She might as well have been talking to herself for all the information she got out of him. The boy had a lot on his mind, though. She could see it in his eyes. Even if he wasn't sharing it with her or anyone else, he was living in his mind. She could see in his own private little heaven, or more likely, hell. I like to think Glenn's mind went something like this. When the doctors and nurses would come into his room to poke and prod him for tests or shots, he didn't blink. You see that, folks? Glenn took his shots. Why'd you guys have such a problem with taking your shots? Whether they stuck him with a needle, performed scar massages on his injured body, or forced him through rehabilitation, he went through it all with a stoic face. He slept through treatments that made growing adults whimper in agony. Yes, it, it was adults, and I said adults? I'm not flawless, people. Of course, his condition, the Muhammad Hassan, was part of that. But still... He was a seven-year-old kid. Oh, all those coming jokes don't work too well then. Just about the same age as her Katie. Well, maybe the coming jokes do work. Even if she couldn't have felt a thing, Katie would have been scared. Might have cried. Might not have. But she sure would have been curious. Curious like her older brother George. He was always getting into trouble. Looking for bananas. Messing with guys in pizza parlors. This might be a good time to remind you folks here on the Aqua Cave, Johnny C.'s favorite Curious George book is indeed Curious George Makes a Pizza. She would have had a lot of questions for the doctors, would have gotten herself underfoot, and made friends with everyone. That was Katie's gift, making friends. That's what being friends is about. 
She had a knack for it. She was just a smiling little girl, smiling all the time, truly the light of Melissa's life. If that light were to be extinguished, there'd be hell to pay. The light of anyone's life, to be honest with you, once they got to know her, if Melissa did say so herself. But then, (laughs) she was a little biased. Since Glenn wouldn't talk to her, she went over to Marfa Elementary and spent some time with his teacher, Mrs. Prescott. Ah, the lady who told Glenn to get down and stay low and get the fuck out of the fire. Nice to see her coming uh, coming back. Mrs. Prescott painted a picture of him as a shy but bright boy, capable of good grades, but more prone to receiving average ones. He was a loner, not at all like his older brother, the teacher said. He was kind of sharp. He'd probably never be sharp enough to be mayor of a town, but maybe the town janitor, Mrs. Prescott added. Now, let's talk about Mark. <laughs> Story of Glenn's life. Mark Calloway was smart and strong, already a head taller than most in his grade, and the top athlete in his class. Uh, Hardy was a three-time Pro Bowler at Tijuana State. Full of himself, too, though, Mrs. Prescott, Mrs. Prescott said. Maybe a little too full of himself. He fancied himself a pure striker and a master of soup bones. Sometimes. But still, Mark had a real bright future, in her opinion. What happened to him was just a shame, the teacher said. A terrible, terrible shame. Melissa tried to steer the conversation back to Glenn. Mrs. Prescott didn't really want to. She just said that Mark was a bit more interesting. But uh, reluctantly, she talked about the younger brother in terms of the older one. Glenn had none of the self-assurance that was Mark's hallmark at such an early age. Rather, it seemed that Glenn fed off of his brother, He didn't feed for him, though, and some of their matches ended up being a little sloppy. But Glenn fed off his brother, drawing strength from his affiliation with him, trying to cipher some of his heat. When they were together, Glenn seemed more outgoing and social. When they were apart, he would retreat into himself like a tiny penis. Circumcised, uncircumcised penis, that is. Mrs. Prescott was no help. Melissa got the class list from her and called the other parents, trying to find children who might have been friendly with Glenn. She had the idea. If she could get one or two of them to visit him in the hospital, the boy might open up to her a little bit. Apparently, though, Glenn had no close friends at school. There was an X-Pac, but apparently he had dropped out. There was a Brian, comma, Daniel that she couldn't find anywhere. Apparently, he had na- moved to a neighboring state of AEW. Nobody had anything bad to say about Glenn. Everyone was sorry for what happened, but they just didn't see how they could help. Melissa hung up the phone after one such call and sighed. (sighs) What could she do? She had to get to know the boy. She had to understand him inside and out. Better before. She had to understand him better before she could think about placing him with a new family. About putting him up for adoption. And he was a good kid inside. She knew this. Even though he was so closed off, he was unfailingly polite. Always did what people asked him without a word of complaint. She imagined him as a good son, like Macaulay Culkin, and a good sibling. The type of child who always did what he was told. Obeyed his parents and teachers, just like Katie. It was at that moment, standing in the hallway, that Melissa got an idea that would eventually ruin her life. So, honey, I was wondering, she said over dinner that night, toying with a forkful of her mashed potatoes, do you think you might want to help me with a little work tomorrow? Katie's eyes lit up, and she leaned forward in her chair excitedly. Me? 
Help you? Oh, Mama, Mama, could I? I think maybe you could. See, there's this boy at the hospital. He's about your age, and I just have the feeling that he needs someone to talk to real bad. Well, isn't that what you do, Mama? I do. I I try to do that, but sometimes uh, people, you know, especially children, they don't want to talk to a grown-up. So you think he'll talk to me? Well, he just might. Okay, I'll do it. She frowned and sat back in her chair and got such a serious expression on her face that she looked all at once ten years older. And Melissa could see traces of the beautiful young woman she was going to die as. But, hmm, you have to tell me what to do, Mama. You gotta be my coach, because I don't know what the right things will be to say. Oh, there is no right thing, honey. You just have to try and get him to talk to you. Okay. Her daughter frowned a minute, thinking, I know! I'll bring in my dolls! We'll play with them together! And we'll have lots to talk about! Well, I don't know about that. You bring him if you want, but don't be surprised if he doesn't want to play right off. She hesitated a second, remembering the sight of Glenn as she'd left him this afternoon. The burns on his face, the tubing coming out of his body, the machines at the side of his bed, the just overall general ugliness of a Glenn Calloway. Now, there's something I have to tell you about this boy. He's more machine now than man, twisted and evil. He was in a real bad accident, a fire. His whole family was killed, and he got hurt pretty badly. Oh, Mama! Oh, yes. So he might look a little bit scary to you, honey. But you remember, inside, he's probably scared himself about everything that's happened. Scared about what's going to happen to him now. I won't stare at him, Mama. I promise. Katie frowned and looked really serious again. But what is going to happen to him? Melissa frowned. I don't know just yet, honey. That's what I'm trying to figure out. That's why I need your help. I'll help you, Mama, whenever you need. Katie smiled again. Melissa Vick reached across the table and smacked her daughter's hand. You better, you little bitch. That's my girl. Miss Ephraim was his nurse this morning, which Glenn was happy about, not because he liked her, but because she, unlike the other nurses, could speak with an English accent. The older nurses, like Nurse Hunt, or Nurse Samazi, Jesus Christ, wasn't always asking him a lot of questions, like, how are you feeling? Or do you think you'd like a book from the library? Or a special treat in your pantaloons? No, Miss Ephraim was changed the IV and go. Take his temperature, rectally, and then go. Take the breakfast tray, and then go. Take out the breakfast tray and trash. Nurse Ephraim got no time to pass. If you ain't burned and on the floor, Miss Ephraim don't want you around no more. Yakety yak, don't talk back. All business like Dad used to say, which was fine with Glenn, because the last thing he wanted this morning was a lot of questions about why he wasn't eating his breakfast or how he had slept. The fact was, he wasn't hungry, and he didn't want to talk about it, and he'd had a bad dream last night, and he didn't want to talk about that either. It was the same dream he'd had a few times now, the dream where he was running down the highway looking for Mark, and instead kept meeting all these different people. Paul Grimm! James Dean, the actor, and last night, his mom's father, 
Glenn's grandfather, who he only knew from his picture in the cane scrapbook. In the dream last night, his grandfather had taken him fishing, just the way his dad used to. And then they'd gone for ice cream, and then they'd gone for a walk out by old Fort Marfa, which was pretty much deserted these days. Except in the dream, it wasn't deserted at all. In the dream, the bats took him to the light. A beautiful lie. There were a whole bunch of people standing around in a circle at the center of the camp. And in the center of the circle, there was a big wooden stake. Attached to it were two large dogs. People were putting money down, gambling on which dog would murder the other. But also, that big wooden stake that was nailed into the ground and tied to the stake was a woman! Wow, that really is a part of this. Really not much older than a girl. And she was screaming and crying and carrying on and begging for help. Good lord, this is taking a turn for the worse. I thought that dog fighting gag would be bad. As they got closer, Glenn saw that all the people were dressed in funny old-fashioned clothes. Like the drawings of the pilgrims he'd seen in the picture book. Mrs. Martinez had read them two years ago at Thanksgiving. (laughs) Now, ain't that funny, his grandfather said, although he wasn't laughing. That's your great, 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 great. He said great more times than Gled could count. Grandmother, son, we ought to say hello. His grandfather cupped his hands to his mouth and shouted, Hey, Grandma, how are you, you old cunt? The woman tied to the stake, looked at them, and then stopped screaming. How am I? How do you think I am, you twat? I'm cussed as how I am. The woman frightened Glenn. He tried to hide behind his grandfather, but somehow she swiveled her head around in a way that didn't seem like it ought to be possible and vomited pea soup. Oh, wait, no. Like it ought to be possible. So that she was looking Glenn right in the eye. We're all cussed, she whispered. Oh, sorry. We're all cussed. All of us kinds are cursed, but especially you, boy. Especially you. Glenn managed to wake himself up after that, before things got any worse. Once he was awake, the dream didn't scare him as much. Not as much as the dreams he had when he kept running into Paul Grimm. Because after all, Paul Grimm was very much alive. Whereas the woman in the dream he'd just had, she'd been dead for hundreds of years. Her name, he knew, was Rebecca Kane. She was a witch. The Kane curse had started with her. That's what his mom had told Glenn once last year. One time when he was out from school for a few weeks after he'd fallen and broken his arm, which he hadn't even known about until he got home and his mom screamed at the side of his arm hanging at a funny angle. Anyway, his mom had brought the scrapbook into Glenn's room and tried to tell him some things about her family, about the curse, but he hadn't wanted to listen. Not then. He didn't believe that. But now, what Glenn was wondering now as he stared at the congealed mass of eggs on the plate in front of him was if he was a witch too. Well, Glenn, do you float? That would explain a lot. Why it, was, why it was that nothing could hurt him, for one. How he'd managed to survive the fire, which the doctors all said was a miracle, for another. If he was a witch, then it wasn't a miracle after all, because miracles came from Jebus, and witches got their power from... Someone, 
knocked on his door. I'm all done, Glenn called out, thinking it was Nurse Ephraim come to take away his tray. Instead, the door swung wide, and two people stepped into his room. The blonde-haired woman, Glenn saw, had brought a blonde-haired girl with her. When you came into my life, then I realized you were the only one when came into my life. You make me realize I was a lucky one. And I never felt like this before together. Our love will last forever. Melissa's heart leapt into her throat. Glenn looked exhausted like he hadn't slept all night long. He hadn't eaten much of the food on his tray either. Glenn, are you all right? Fine. You've hardly touched your breakfast. I'm fine. She decided not to push it. Not this morning. That would get things off to a bad start, and she didn't want Katie to have to fight through that as well. I'm sure you are, Melissa said, shifting gears. She put her hands on Katie's shoulders and moved her closer to the bed. Glenn, I bring you this offering for sacrifice for Zenu. Glenn! Glenn, this is my daughter. I thought you might want a fresh face to talk to today. Glenn shrugged. Katie stepped forward and held out her hand. Just, Glenn, please hold my hand. I wish you just hold my hand. Hi, I'm Katie. Her little girl smiled then, the same smile that always lit up Melissa's heart like a thousand-watt bulb. Glenn's expression didn't change. I can't get up to shake your hand because they got this in right now, he said, nodding at the ivy. That's okay, Katie said. The two kids looked at each other again. Melissa made a show of looking in her briefcase just then and frowning. Oh, where is my head this morning? I need to go get some papers. Would you excuse me for a minute, you two? You don't mind, do you, Glenn? If Katie stays in here with you? He shrugged. I don't care. Good. I'll be right back. You kids use protection. She shut the door behind her then and stood with her back to it, listening. After a moment, she heard talking. She couldn't hear what they were saying, but she heard words. Sentences. Syntax, if you will. And she smiled. Katie had broken the ice, at least, so she'd leave them alone for a while. Get a cup of coffee at the nurse's station. Maybe find Beverly and go over a few things with her. Share their mutual hatred for the Mexicans. Glenn's anticipated release date, any long-term medical problems he might have as a result of the fire, other things like that as well. In fact, now that she thought about it, one of the doctors had red flagged some bruising on his vocal cords, conveniently, that might present a problem down the road. And she wanted to talk about that for certain, so she'd take care of all those things and then come back, see where they were then. Now, folks, that's not an actual joke about individuals that need to use a voice box. That is a cane joke. I'd like to make that very clear. Melissa 
turned toward the nurse's station. A policeman stood there and immediately opened fire because he's a policeman. Talking to the woman behind the desk as well he was, the nurse glanced up, saw Melissa, and pointed. There she is now! That cunt! Why is everybody using the C word this go-around? The policeman nodded grimly and started walking towards her. The two children looked at each other. I brought my dolls, if you want to play. Glenn looked at the dolls in her hand. Two little blonde dolls in matching outfits. One bigger than the other. One was probably the mother, the other the little girl. Or maybe they were sisters, an older and a younger. They're detectives, like Charlie's Angels on TV. You know that show? But they're Katie's Angels, because they work for me, not Charlie. Wow, young Katie Vick could have led a female stable here during the women's revolution. If only you didn't kill her, Glenn. Glenn had no idea what she was talking about. No, I don't like dolls. Oh, okay. The blonde girl looked at him a minute, looked him in the face, then up and down, looking at the IV in his arm and the blinking machines, until finally she looked back at him, looked him straight in the eye again. He expected right then to see the same thing in her eyes that he saw in everyone's. The pity, the sadness mixed in with a little bit of fear. He was sick to death of it. But she wasn't looking at him in that way at all. She was smiling. Your eyes are different colors. Yeah, he asked defensively. That's kind of cool. He blinked. Nobody had ever said that to him before. I guess. I, I don't know. It's all right, I guess. I never heard of anyone with different colored eyes before. It's kind of rare. You know, some, some kids at school tease me about it. Why? I don't know. They just, you know, they're sixth graders. That's what happens at school. Big kids pick on the littler ones. You know, my brother Mark used to pick on this kid named Maven all the time. You know, we thought that Maven would toughen up and get a little bit better at being a little kid, but he never did. That Maven just didn't put in the effort. I don't go to school. My mom homeschools me. We're very religious. You don't go to school? Not yet. I'm going to go next year, though. Marfa Elementary. I'm going to be in the second grade. That's where I'll go. And I'm going to be in the third grade next year. I except. Glenn frowned a minute, realizing something. I except I'll never finish second grade. Because of the fire. Well, maybe we'll all be in the same class, then. Yeah. Maybe. An awkward silence fell. I'm sorry about your house burning down. And your parents. And your brother. And I'm sorry that that fat guy fucked your mom and, you know, you came out of her pussy. It's kind of weird, but, you know, I guess fat guys need love, too. Yeah, I'm sorry about it, too. And I'm also sorry you got burned. And now you got all that shit in your arms. And you kind of sound weird when you talk, too. And I really doubt you're ever going to have sex, Glenn. So you might as well just get used to jerking off a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Maybe like six times a day. I mean, I hear if you do that, it sort of makes up for the lack of actual intimate physical human contact. But I just read that on Wikipedia. I don't know if it's true. My mama said you got burned pretty bad, by the way. Like all over? Like you got a crusty cock? Is that true? I'm okay now. Except for right here. 
Glenn touched the side of his face, the right cheek where his skin was all discolored. Well, that doesn't look so bad. Really? Yeah, no, not bad at all. <clears throat> Even though she was saying all the same shit that people always said to him, all the things that usually got him so annoyed, Glenn found that for some reason, at this moment, he wasn't annoyed at all. He was just sad, very, very sad. So what are you going to do now? I don't know. I, I guess I guess I'm going to get adopted. Have a new fa- <clears throat> Have a new fa- have a new family the word stuck in his throat he tried to get it out again and couldn't he blinked away tears sorry it's okay so when do you get your new family i mean how long does that take i don't know thing is i don't really want a new family yeah yeah no i wouldn't either yeah your mom's nice she got some tits too was she like a she like a full c i mean that's what i've been telling everybody back at school that she's a full c what the hell? I don't know, man. I thought you weren't even going to school. I thought you were in the hospital. Yeah, don't worry about it. Let's just move on to a new topic. Yeah, I know. We have a lot of fun together. But she's getting really busy at her job, so she's not around so much anymore. That's why I gotta go to school next year. Second grade? Yeah, you know, we already established that, you stupid fuck. I'm a little scared about it, though. Don't worry. It ain't so bad. You think kids will tease me, too? I don't think I'd like being teased. Glenn didn't like the idea of Katie being teased either. Don't worry. Nobody will tease you. Except for this one kid who's in the fourth grade, Hunter Hurst Helmsley. He's a bit of an asshole. You sure? I'll make sure nobody teases you, Katie. Oh, okay, thanks! She smiled again. He smiled back. Someone knocked on the door. I'm done! Glenn called out, sure that this time it had to be Nurse Ephraim. But it wasn't. It was Katie's mom again, swinging the door open all the way and stepping inside. A police officer, firearm drawn most likely, stepped in behind her. After finding out what the officer wanted, Melissa had begged him to wait to talk to Glenn for at least a few minutes. The boy in there, she raised an arm and pointed towards the half-open door to Glenn's room, beyond which the sound of the children's voices could be heard, is talking in more than grunts for the first time in weeks. Months. Please, let's leave him be for a little while longer. The policeman, Sergeant Pete Dominguez of the Marfa PD Special Investigation Bureau, shook his head. We already waited a little while longer, Miss Vic. I'm sorry. I don't want to upset the boy either, but this investigation is a serious matter. i got to talk to him right now. Melissa sighed. Poor Glenn. The kid just could not catch a break. Don't you have any more questions for me? Perhaps sexy questions? I could tell you about my freshly shaven vagina, perhaps. The sergeant shook his head. Nope. Got no more questions for anybody but the boy. He's the only witness. All right. She nodded and knocked on the door. Glenn yelled something in response. She couldn't hear what, but took his words as an invitation to come in and push the door open. She smiled for a minute at the sight of Glenn, leaning forward in his bed. A light in his eyes that she had frankly not once seen from him in all the weeks they'd been talking together. The smile grew even broader when she saw Katie leaning on the edge of Glenn's bed, leaning towards him. The same glint in her own eye. <gasps> they were getting along, obviously. More than getting along, in fact. 
If they were a few years older, Melissa would say there was a little spark between the two of them. A little hint of romance in the air. Though, of course, they were too young for that. At seven, going on eight years old. Much too young. Eh, kind of reframes all the terrible sex jokes I've made this chapter, but damn it, I'm sticking with it. Glenn Calloway, Sergeant Dominguez said, stepping into the room. The second the police officer spoke, Melissa saw the spark vanish from the boy's eyes. Yeah, that's me. The sergeant introduced himself, taking a step closer to the boy as he did so. Melissa took Katie by the shoulders again and pulled her out of the way. I'd like to talk to the boy in private, Ms. Vic, Dominguez said. I think I should be here. It's your daughter I'm concerned about. I don't want to frighten a girl. Melissa nodded. Maybe Dominguez was right. Talking about the fire to Glenn the way he talked about it to her. That would upset Katie. Sweetie, let's go out in the hole for just a bit. Why? What do you want to ask Glenn about? What do you want to know? Melissa couldn't help but smile. Sir, she corrected her daughter before the officer could respond. What do you want to know, sir? I want to know about the fire. Uh, you know, just just what happened that night. Katie nodded and turned to her mother. I don't mind staying, if it's okay with Glenn. Sure! Glenn said, enthused, apparently. Dominguez shrugged. Fine by me. But let's all get comfortable. This might take a while. Maybe uh, remove some of your undergarments, you know. Uh, mainly you, Mrs. Vick, is what I'm interested in. I don't understand. I talked to the police about all this before, when I first got to the hospital. Well, that's right, I know you did. Dominguez pulled up chairs around the bed for himself, Melissa, and Katie. He sat in his backwards style, so Glenn would feel more comfortable. But some new information has come up, so I need to ask some more questions, that's all. New information? What kind of information? Fake news, I bet. Can't trust the liberal, goddamn liberal media. Officer Dominguez, you should know that. Well, information that leads us to suspect that the fire may have been arson. Oh my lord! Oh, my lord! What's arson mean? It's a crime, isn't it? That's right. Arson is a crime. It means that someone deliberately set the fire that killed your parents. It means, and here he turned his full attention to Glenn, that the fire wasn't an accident at all. It means this was murder. Bum, bum, bum! Oh, my goodness, fans! No, that's the end of chapter three. Oh my goodness, the suspense is killing me. Did Glenn set the fire that murdered his entire family? Or did someone else set the fire? Maybe a fat man that had a plan. Did Paul Bear start the fire? No, he didn't light it, but he's trying to go and on and on and on. Join us next time on Reading Cambo for chapter four where I learned the lyrics to We Didn't Start the Fire, and perhaps we will determine who started this fire.